In the CFO lexicon, I've always have liked the words such as velocity, momentum, and mass. So when Mike Berlin's team reached out to me to ask to be on the show, I was more than intrigued. Mike is the author of Maximum Momentum, How to Get It, How to Keep It. Mike is the founder and CEO of Decode M, a research and analytics firm. They decode data into momentum for clients such as Airbnb, Nike, Microsoft, Facebook, Estee Lauder, and many more brand names. Guys, this is going to be a fun interview. Mike is full of energy. He gets to his points very fast. I'm Mark Gandy. This is CFO Bookshelf. My visit with Mike Berlin is right around the corner. Again, my guest is Mike Berlin, the author of Maximum Momentum, the CEO and founder of Decode M, a very fascinating firm. They decode data into momentum through their own intellectual property. Now, you'll see this question on his firm's website and in the opening pages of his book, Are Your Best Days Ahead? So that was my first question for Mike Berlin. Mike, are your best days ahead of you? You know, I ask myself that every morning, and I am assured that today my best days are ahead. Would you have been the guy who said, we're putting the camera in the BlackBerry? If you'd have been in charge, would you have said yes to that? You know, it's interesting. I was in that meeting at BlackBerry, got into a fight with the CEO who said, why do we need a camera in a BlackBerry? What are we going to do with it? And I said to him, well, what if they're at the grocery store and they have to buy something, they can take a picture of it. And I, I was searching for reasons why we need the phone, that it's not just fun. And yet today, can you imagine a business leader without a camera and the phone? No it, way. It, 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 but in those, in those times, this remember, this was really pre-Instagram. Social was just taking off. Conceptually, it was going to take up a lot of time and seemed like a, a, a device for toys, or as toys for children. Why does a businessman need a, a camera and the phone? Well, again, I love the book, love the book. And the first question I had going through, and by the way, it's a quick read, easy read. And even in my own personal notes, I think the best way to read this, read it fast one time, then go back, uh, have a notepad, start taking notes. But as I was going through that first read, the first 20, 30 pages, the first thing that hit me was, and, I, and Mike, I'm not talking about the equation itself, but what comes first, mass or velocity? Again, not talking the equation. I'm not talking the. I'm not talking uh, just the, the law of physics here. But practically speaking, what's more important, mass or velocity, or something else? So, Mark, it's February 26, 2021. If you would have asked me, well, I don't know when you're going to record this, but if you would have asked me one year ago in 2020, I would have said mass first and then velocity. You need to have scale for something to uh, to really take off. Now, post-COVID 2021, we learned we are 100% in a velocity-led world. Velocity, um, now that DTC, direct-to-consumer, has taken off, the stores were, were shut down. It is now a velocity world where anything can take off and have momentum. And velocity 
leads to mass. And that leads to the other question. What happens if you do have velocity, but, but little or no mass at some point in time, and again, we'll get into this later, but is, is that momentum going to maybe fizzle just a little bit, or do you still need mass at some point? If you don't achieve mass, then you are just a fad. So there's a lot of things that just spike up, huge velocity. They're big for a month, and they just go away. Now, Mike, you've worked in a lot of large organizations. You've worked, I mean, you've been around the political scene as well. And I'm going to be giving away one of my my biases, but I am not a fan of fill-in-the-blank strategic planning. And I'm even talking to strategic, uh, strategic planning brought to us by McKinsey, uh, BCG. Again, as I go through your book, I'm almost thinking this is could be a replacement for uh, strategic planning. Agree or disagree? Uh, agree. Not a replacement, an enhancement. Strategic planning is great, and we should and we should do it. But it has to evolve. And so the strategic planning process that we had before needs to incorporate momentum and velocity. And yet that is the hardest thing for corporations to understand because they have a playbook and they have a playbook around, well, we need to be culturally relevant and we need to be authentic and we have to play it safe. But that's not how velocity works. So you have to expand your horizons and start to put forward uh, uh, initiatives that are going to help you uh, increase your cultural relevancy, grow your mo- uh, grow your momentum, and then your mass will follow. And that's a very hard concept for companies that have been around for a long time. For new companies, it's incredibly obvious, and they struggle with the other side of the equation of uh, they're so focused on velocity, they never get to the mass. Good point. And I'm thinking of a lot of the startups in Silicon Valley because this is second, second nature to them, I, I, I mean, I, I'm assuming. But b- before we go further, let's back up a little bit. And even though I know the definition of it, I want to hear from the author's point of view, what's your best or favorite definition of momentum? Um, my favorite definition of momentum is cultural relevancy. What, where, where do you stand? How relevant are you? Uh, and what do people on a mass side, how aware are you? And on a velocity side, what's their level of engagement? And that's, and so it's all communications built because in today's world, brand, products, ideas, politicians are all based in communications. I, in in preparing for this, I did watch a couple of your interviews on YouTube, and then it's in the book. You talk about kingmaker uh, versus being a king. Now, you you share your personal story about where uh, that concept came from, but let's look at at it from uh, maybe one of your clients' perspectives, that of a, a CEO or some other business leader. Why is that important? What, what why does it matter? Are you a king versus a kingmaker? Well, a, a kingmaker wants their king to be successful and wants to help their king see around the corner. Wants their king to understand the risks uh, associated with their decisions. Most of all, a king wants to stay king, right? And so, a, a, a kingmaker keeps them in the throne. 
What is the role of luck? And let me read you a quote from Bill Gates. He says, I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time, but many others were also in the same place. The difference was that I took action, Bill Gates. So momentum, luck. What's the relationship? We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Um, well, people, um, to the person who's experienced it, and like in your quote with Bill Gates, they know that there's no luck involved. It's the decision to take advantage of the opportunity. To people on the outside, it looks like luck because that's how they rationalize it to themselves. But we're all given a lot, a number of opportunities. Which ones do we take advantage of? And one of the things that I always tell people is don't say no until you have to. You can always say yes. You always, as a teammaker, you always want to keep your options open and don't commit until the last second or um, or, or don't say, don't reject it until the last second because you want to be open to the possibilities. What I love about Bill Gates's story is that he was in that position and he kept pushing the boundaries, pushing the boundaries against all sorts of hurdles, both internal hurdles, external hurdles. The government went after him and yet he kept transforming him, uh, his company and himself. And now Bill Gates has gone from Darth Vader, like in the old days when we thought that there was um, Microsoft was trying to take over our life with Microsoft Office to one of the uh, most admired men in the world who foresaw the pandemic and is really giving us a very clear way um, to prevent the next one. You know, when I started reading through the, the book, especially in the first 30, 40 pages, I couldn't help but thinking of the flywheel effect that Jim Collins talks about in Good to Great. And as I'm thinking about that, one thing I did not like about his content on that is it's really a result. So it's it's not like, well, let's go do the flywheel. No, the flywheel is a result of all the other good things you're doing. The subtitle of your book is uh, how to get it and how to keep it. So Mike, as we get a good definition of momentum, what are some of the starting points to maybe start to get momentum? Now, some of it is in our control. Some of it's not in our control, but the part that's controllable, can you kind of give us some insights? We we still want to sell copies of your book, but yeah. I still like to just, just get some ideas of how to get that, that momentum started. The first step of building your momentum is to get into the momentum mindset yeah, and, and understand what the drivers 
of momentum are. And in the book, we go we go through it, but there's disruption, innovation, uh, polarization, uh, sticky issues, and, and social impact. And so you have to put your, everything has to go through that lens of what am I doing um, uh, different? How am I going to turn things up and down through innovation? What am I going to do to make things better and create FOMO so that there's a fear of missing out? Uh, polarization, who am I going to talk to? Who's going to be with me for my product? And who is really not an option? Uh, stickiness, what's going to be memorable? And then social impacts, how am I, what, what impact, how am I going to make the world a better place? And once you're in that momentum mindset, now you've got a starting point. And by the way, I want to just kind of put a pin in that right now. In the book, and I think this is brilliant, Mike. I, I call I give I give everything a name if I can. So I called I called those five words kind of your momentum scorecard, or or if you ever work in I mean with marketing people or advertising brief, there's what's called the advertising brief, and it's the big points. And I'm going to reread them again if you don't mind. Uh, those words are polarization, innovation, sticky. Uh, sticky issue, disruptive, and an impact. And again, that's what I call the momentum brief. Or again, you've you've got your score scoreboard definition for it. Here's the question I have for that: polarization or polarizing? Can you have momentum without being a jerk? Because sometimes when when I think of polarizing someone, I think of the maybe a certain <laughs> a certain uh, past politician who. I mean, I think we can all rationally say that individual could at times be a jerk, but can you be a momentum builder and be humble? Yeah, I think actually the uh, I'm not I'm not going to put this on Trump. I'm going to put it on the media, but I'm going to take it back to Trump. The media um, uh, understood uh, you know, Trump was a disruptor uh, who then used uh, polarization. To, to get momentum to become president. Polarization was just, before, before it got tagged to Trump and politicized, polarization just met one of the other, like opposite ends of this of the spectrum. So polarization has always been a, a good thing. You're, you're on this side or on that. It got politicized under Trump, and I think now it's become a pejorative, but we've always known in marketing, we don't want to be all things to all people. So we want to we we want to know we're for you we're not for um, for someone else and that's okay. Uh, and Trump took it to a totally different place. And, and we can find other leaders who have been very successful as well. I, I think I mean we have a global audience, but like in the U.S., history comes to mind. I'm thinking uh, Douglas MacArthur, uh, Patton, you know, other leaders like that. And so that that's fitting uh, your definition. Um, you talked about in the book, and I love that you brought this up, in the context of momentum, you talked about the moral compass. In right. brief, again, I did not miss that. You, you want to elaborate just a little bit on that, Mike? Well, people always think of momentum as such a positive thing. Like, we've got the momentum, uh, uh, momentum is with us, we're growing momentum. But momentum doesn't have a moral compass. It's not always positive. You can have momentum for bad issues, for bad things. And you have to really lean into it because you can't just say stop momentum. It's very hard to do. Momentum keeps going unless you have an equal and opposite force and then you can't stop it. Um, so what we say is that momentum 
it can go any which way. You've got to lean into it and make the momentum work for you in the way that you feel is uh, most appropriate. And by the way, perfect segue, going back to our strategic planning comment, every strategic plan will have a, a SWOT analysis involved in it. But in my opinion, I think part of that SWOT can almost be replaced with looking at the forces that may be pushing back on the positive momentum that a company or an organization, uh, e- even a not-for-profit can be going through. I mean, obviously that's kind of, I'm leading the witness, but, but that's correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not only the, um, the forces, um, the competitive forces, uh, cultural, uh, forces, you know, societal forces that's, I mean, that's all the things that impact your momentum. Look, we've just gone through, um, one of the most, um, uh, disruptive cultural societal forces, the COVID pandemic. You mentioned a name that did not come to mind. Now, it's not my sport, but you mentioned Gary Bettman. Why, oh, did, yeah. why did he make it to your book? Uh, because he's the ultimate momentum leader who um, has had to harness all the momentum drivers and push his sport forward with a lot of headwinds. And, and so uh, taking a, a sport like NHL hockey and growing it in the way that he's had, bringing his whole team forward, his inspiration to those that are around him, his commitment to a a game and and growing it um, in the U.S. has really, I think, proven to be a model of what a momentum leader is. And the commissioner also has a soft spot, which I think is the most impressive you wouldn't want to negotiate with him because you will lose. But if he, if you're on his team, he will always have your back. And that's so rare to find that combination of someone who will fight to the outside so aggressively. And yet to his internal team, uh, he's with, he he's in lockstep with them all the way. Yeah. I was shocked that he, there has been negativity. You mentioned headwinds. I just thought, I mean, look what he's done to the sport. The fans love the product. I think the players are making more money. The owners are making more money. I just, I was surprised that there's been some opposition. But well, the- and he's he's about to do, hockey has their media rights deal coming up, uh, I think, in the next year. And so they are positioned to be the most transformative league. Well, they will go and I don't know what the details of the deal are yet, but with streaming services taking off, with cord cutting being the major trend, the NHL is in position to leapfrog all of professional sports and to become the most modern from a media and fan engagement perspective. Um, the, the disappointing part is hockey plays in indoor arenas, and, and those have been capped uh, in terms of the capacity. Denying fans to uh, uh, enjoy the sport that they love so much. So, Mike, I'm assuming some of your clients use Net Promoter Score. And again, this is opinion. This is me having a one-sided conversation as I'm going through your book. Net Promoter Score, I, I'm sure it's it's good. It's for the basics. Uh, I, I think any framework, any mental model is a theory that needs to be tested, needs to be vetted to validate your assumptions about it. 
But as I think about NPS, it's, it's, it's kind of one and done, even though you'll do it in the future. But I think what you do, and this may be dipping into your intellectual property, I would think that trying to measure momentum is even better than getting that one-time score periodically with NPS. Now, again, I'm leading the witness. I'm, 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 I'm opening it up for you to give me a, a positive answer, but maybe push either push back on what I just said, or do you agree with that? Um, well, look, NPS uh, at its time, uh, I think was the gold standard. I, I think that they were at, you know, using surveys, getting feedback from, uh, from their customers was really helpful. The world has moved on. And so NPS, which was an ask and tell metric, is not as relevant of just look at the data. Like the, the you can see it in the behavioral data. You can see it in our momentum data. And so we use NPS as an, as an input of what were they able to achieve? What were they trying to measure? And then understand what is the modern version of that? So I, um, while I don't recommend NPS today, I understood 15 years ago why my clients should use it. If I were working for you, I would probably tell clients or prospects that NPS is not going to measure future momentum, or if it does, it's not going to be very reliable. And so that that's that's kind of the way I'm interpreting uh, your 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 feedback. Yeah, and also um, NPS doesn't get to the level of engagement. Like so, with, with our momentum metric. We dig deep into the velocity, and the velocity is the polarization, how things are being discussed. NPS is is a dispassionate metric, even though it's trying to measure uh, passion. And, you know, like, would you recommend it? And so we've taken it to the next step further. You don't have to ask about it. You can just observe it. And through our our, uh, sentiment algorithms, you can measure it. I am a big James Kramer fan, now mainly radio. He used to be on a radio show years ago before he was on TV. And so I hope he's not listening because we're going to steal one of his, uh, one of his, his, his uh, segments, but the lightning round. What I like to do with you, Mike, is go through some names, some nouns, and you're going to tell me where they are on the momentum uh, meter, if you can. Are you game? I, I'm totally game. Okay. Here's one that's top of mind for you. In fact, I just read an article of uh, someone in your team sent me a link to it. It's, it's outstanding. Uh, SPACs, SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies. Where are yeah. we on the momentum uh, meter? Okay. So in 2020, if you asked me that question, SPACs had a momentum of four. Now, one year later, 2021, SPACs have a uh, M factor of 47. So SPACs, that's 10X in one year. That's as close to a 45 degree angle as you are going to see in uh, in our momentum score. Uh, Mike, is this on a 100% scale? 100% scale. Got it. So, th- so they've gone from basically four to 47 in one year, which would wow. mean tremendous uh, uh, momentum. And I think the only thing that really slowed them down was there was some uncertainty um, through the summer of when was when when was the pandemic going to uh, sort of when was that curve going to change? Otherwise, SPACs could have been at seventy by now. Next one, charitable giving. 
Well, uh, charitable giving has actually been at a nice high level for um, uh, for a number of years. You know what you have to look for? Um, think about the momentum of Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday, the uh, Tuesday after Thanksgiving, uh, started off actually in New York at a, at a, at a small organization and is now spread to a, a global organization. So I think charitable giving in, in general is very high. And we, we can point to a number of specific areas where it's off the charts. Tightly related to that, personal savings. Uh, personal savings is interesting. Might be a fad. Uh, there's, there's definitely uh, uh, momentum for it now. Uh, during the pandemic, we didn't have a lot to right. spend that, if you kept if you kept your job and and your income was stable, you didn't really want to spend money because of the uncertainty and the fact that many of the things that you were spending money on food, clothes were not as um, you weren't going out to restaurants and you really weren't buying new outfits. It will be interesting in the year ahead. Will personal um, savings go down? Now we know millennials hate debt. But we also know that they hate being inside as much as they have uh, as they have been more. And the millennials who hated debt are now having children, right? So they're so they're now buying homes uh, in the suburbs instead of the city. They're having children, and so we'll see what happens with that. I think too early to tell, uh, but momentum for now. Let's see what happens in the future. We're on the same page. We're on the same page. Hey, I have to throw in a fun one. Uh, yeah. we have already been told he's already said, yes, uh, ESPN's, uh, Matthew Barry uh, is agreed to be on the show. And now that football season's over, uh, that will be soon. So I want to throw out a football reference, Tom Brady up, down trend. What say you, you know, here is, here is the momentum master that we all love to hate. Who hates Tom Brady more than every anybody other than the city he plays in? And yet that polarization works so well for him. He leaves the Patriots and then he wins the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. And his wife is, is Gazelle, give me a break. Like he is, he hits on all of the momentum uh, drivers. He is uh, polarizing because you love him or hate him. He's dis- He's disruptive because he he's the greatest and he goes in and wins. Um, he's innovative in the way that he's uh, done his health and wellness program. And he inspires us. And he's just this, um, for some reason, Tom Brady feels like this approachable leader and surrounding himself with Gronk. I think Tom Brady and Gronk go together, by the way, um, just make them a pair that you can't get enough of. I'm giving you an easy one. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Um, I have been so uh, on the fence about them. And yet, if you look at their numbers, I mean, their momentum is just spiking and they they scare people so much. And yet they keep putting more money uh, into them. And so I think that um, uh, uh, because companies like BlackRock, because companies like Tesla have now said that Bitcoin is OK, they are now right. becoming validated. and and. Bitcoin has now gone from theoretical to really transformative and 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 will be uh, the amazing, uh, not just cryptocurrency, just currency. I, I'm going to skip to the last one because of time. 
This one is not a trick question, but if you were asking me the next one I'm going to give you, I could give you one or the other way. And I want to see what you're going to say to it. Uh, Netflix, Netflix. Momentum master, but not for the reasons that you might think. Um, they are not the moment, momentum masters because of Tiger King or because of the crown or the Queen's Gambit, which are, I don't know how we would have gotten through this period without those, but they're a momentum master because of the social impact that they're having uh, worldwide. Their documentaries, their features, they are, they are bringing the world together, providing us with such uh, interesting a uh, 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 platform to to in, to just become smarter, to be to become more knowledgeable, to understand social issues. So Netflix, to me, is yes, it's entertainment, but that would be the most simplistic way to understand them. It's their social impact that is their enduring um, is is where their enduring momentum comes from. Fun stuff, fun stuff. Hey, a couple more questions, Mike. And again, thank you very much. Uh, your best advice for executive directors, uh, CEOs, what's your best advice for them? If you were to meet with them in a small group or one-to-one, what's your best advice for them to get started just to start thinking about momentum? I try to engage them in a velocity discussion. I say, if you're a CEO, your whole business is based on mass. Uh, it's based on your your um, your P and L, your profits, and what have you. And I said, but velocity, what's going to take you to the future? So get into the momentum mindset and understand that what can you do to accelerate the growth of your brand and to get it moving. We do not do this with every single guest. It's about one in five, one in six. We started back with a Liz Wiseman, who wrote the popular best-selling book, Multipliers. Uh, we actually did not talk about multipliers. We talked about her other book, Rookie Smarts. Loved it. One of the questions we asked her, and she said, oh, I love this question. And we didn't give her a chance to think about it. I love the answer. So it's stuck. And so, Mike, the question I have for you is, what would be your TEDx talk? But this one's going to be hard. You only are going to do your TEDx talk for high school students, mainly seniors, you could say a few juniors dribbled in, but what would be your TEDx talk for high school young men and women? Uh, my TEDx talk would be, I wanted, to, I wanted to take you on a lecture for the one class that they don't teach you, but it will be the most important for your life, which is the uh, introspection 101. Taking stock of, of, of what you're good at, of what you like, and understand how you're going to get momentum throughout your life. Brilliant. And uh, I was talking, introspection is the most important skill that they don't teach in school. I don't, I don't know why they, a little self-reflection, where's it going? That's why when you asked me today, are my best days ahead or behind? And I quickly said ahead. I don't have that answer every day. And my, and the people I work with know when I wake up with best days behind, because I'm going to want to change something. I'm going to look for a transformation. And so you have to always have that, be honest with yourself. Your best days aren't always ahead and you have to do something about it. I love the answer. Do you know, I try to always anticipate what the answers will be. Uh, by the oh. way, in, in the back of the book and in the, in, uh, on the inside of the back cover, now the Kindle version. So I don't know if it's on the back or inside, yeah. but 
you are a world-class athlete. So you are a marathon runner. Uh, you're now you're smiling. Uh, you're a marathon yeah. runner and you're an Ironman athlete. So I, I was thinking, I wonder if you'll go the, uh, the athlete, uh, you know, keep, keep working out, keep doing stuff to, to nourish the, <laughs> the physical body. So, um, I'm, I'm giving you a chance to say, uh, well, how, how is your marathon time these days? Uh, well, you all the marathons got canceled last year. So I am signed up for the Boston Marathon. I, I had an entry from last year. I'm uh, participating this year. Marathoning Ironman is the ultimate momentum sport where you have to play the long ball, but you have to go through constant transformations. Like you can't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be an Ironman. I actually think you can wake up one day and say you're going to be a, a marathoner, but that's a that's an Ironman bias because we think like they only do one sport. How hard can it be? We do three. But for an Ironman, you have to work all three sports and just transform your different fitness levels. And you have to know where you're going and then have a plan to get there. And it's all about velocity. See, Mike, I needed you to say that for me because it gives me an excuse to mention that you've also have written the fat burning machine. I have not read that. Yeah. I don't know how long you wrote that. You don't that. need to. So, yeah. so, and so that leads to our other question. I always like to ask authors, you know, what do you read? You know, what, what if either a, what are some of your favorite books or books that have meant a lot to you or books that you gift? Uh, what, what are some books that are top of mind that you uh, that you can share. There's there's two books that I, that I'm reading now. I always read um, nonfiction. I always like so. Um, the best book that I'm reading now that I wish everybody in the world would read is "The Company I Keep" by Leonard Lauder. I don't quote any book, and I quote Leonard Lauder, who created this company, Estee Lauder, with his mother. I take pictures of the book and I send it to colleagues with lessons learned. I say it to my children. So I've used that book. It's one of the most impactful books. And I, um, I worked for the company. I, I know Mr. Lauder, but I never knew him in this way. And I was um, blown away by a book that I didn't have high expectations for. And then I couldn't put down. That's, I, I'm going to get that book. Hey, before. Oh, oh, wait, I'll send you that book. Um, I, I want to send you a copy and have it signed by, uh, and see if I can get it signed. Wow. It's a great book. Excellent. Yes. Hey, yes. Be before we ask you, before we let you go and ask you about your firm, I want to give you the ultimate compliment on this book. So I, so I started, I didn't get to start reading the book until this past Monday because this process with you and I has kind of gone fast. So I started reading it. And do you ever have maybe watched, uh, uh, we were in our green room discussion, we were talking about family ties. <laughs> and have you ever maybe uh, started listening to the TV show and the, the, the theme song, you can't get it out of your head or some jingle yeah. you can't. So as I'm going through your book, I can't get momentum out of my head. And, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's like everything, every time I turn around, I'm thinking, velocity. I'm thinking even mass. I'm thinking force. So this book is very, very sticky. And I don't know if you've gotten that same response from others, but again, this book has a stickiness factor. So I'm just, I'm thumbs upping uh, your book. So I, yeah. I, is that a compliment? I love that. It's, it's, that's a huge compliment. And what we find is that people start 
to use our momentum vocabulary, which to be honest, if you would have paid attention in high school physics, the momentum vocabulary was there with Sir Isaac Newton, mass, physics, forces. But yet when we contextualize it to today's world, it can explain so much. So I, I love the fact that you're in the momentum mindset and you're using our momentum words. Our clients will start to use it and they don't even realize it. And then um, my family will start to use it and they don't realize it. And I am laughing because this is a vocabulary that didn't exist. Momentum has been an emotional word for so many years, used in sports, used a little bit in politics, but never had a specific definition. And now it does. Even though we'll have show notes, links, go ahead and tell us about your firm, who's your ideal client, and and how to reach out. Again, it's probably going to be the website, and we'll have it in the notes. But uh, tell us a little bit about your firm, Mike, before we wrap up. Our firm is called uh, DecodeM, and we decode data into momentum using our five uh, momentum drivers. We do research uh, and analytics to solve some of the biggest challenges facing our clients. We love the disruptors. We love the companies that are shaking things up. So Airbnb was our dream client. And uh, Mark, we literally picked up the phone, emailed, uh, got connected to him and say, we know something about your business. We'd like to talk to you about it. From that moment, five years ago, we have been locked at the hip with them through their um, explosive growth, through this um, uh, amazing crisis that we had with the pandemic and watching them uh, they IPO'd a few months ago and their stock has doubled. And it, that is the most gratifying uh, client that we worked with because they had a vision. They uh, have uh, they were hitting the drivers. Their social impact is tr- tremendous with uh, their openness and their inclusivity. And yet they, they helped us get through this pandemic. And, and Mike, one more plug for you and the firm. This is something that you didn't you didn't just start overnight. I mean, this has really been your career. I mean, you've been studying this since day one, right? I've been studying this since high school. Yes, my first my first career was at a political polling firm, which we built and sold to WPP, the largest uh, holding company for communications companies. I then went to Edelman uh, and created Edelman Berland Research and Analytics for the world's largest public relations agency. And that's really where I learned everything that I needed to understand because how can you take the um, insights and the um, understanding that we have and apply it to uh, situations. And so Edelman Berland is where I really started to understand this intersection that was uh, uh, happening. And Decodem is my third startup and my last of where we're bringing together all the disparate data streams and providing clients with that information they need to decode and grow their momentum. Mike Berlin, an honor and a pleasure. You are awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Once again, Mike Berlin, thank you very much for being on the show. Hey, more great interviews still to come. In a couple of weeks, we have Ed Klass, who is the co-host, one of the co-hosts of The Soul of Enterprise, my all-time favorite podcast. Cannot wait to visit. We will be talking about 
ERP implementations. Hey, Jack McCullough, maybe you've heard of him. He's very active on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, we're going to be talking about CFO rock stars. That's coming up. Simon Wardley, who has created the strategy mapping process uh, called Wardley Mapping. That's coming up in about a month. Uh, Brad Chase has written the book Strategy First. He was the guy behind the marketing campaign of Windows 95. Cannot wait to have that conversation. Hey, still to come in a few more weeks, late May, Charles Rosati. He was the IRS commissioner from 1997 to 2002. He came from the outside. He was a CEO founder, ran the IRS, turned it around. And again, that's coming up later in May. Hey guys, all around the globe, thank you. Thank you for listening. Hey, send us send us some uh, feedback. Let us know on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to us. Uh, we love the feedback. We love the positive ratings. And thank you for all those notes you've been sending uh, to me on LinkedIn. I'm Mark Gandy. This is CFO Bookshelf. We'll be right back at you next week.